Well, if you take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And the book of Mark is rumored to be the very first gospel written. And in this brief gospel, Mark records for us the Messiah being revealed as a servant come to give his life a ransom for many. And so I trust it will be a blessing as we are once again in Mark chapter 8. They're an interesting group of people. They act a certain way, they talk a certain way, they order their life a certain way, and sports fans are unique in the way they go about their business. In fact, fans is short for, we probably all know, right? Fanatics. They, they act a certain way, they dress a certain way, they will decorate their house a certain way. And fans can sometimes be, uh, if it's a fan from another rival uh, team, can be hard to live with sometimes. But it's interesting, within the sports world, there's a group that is not so highly thought of. And the true fans, they can spot these individuals a mile away. This group doesn't talk like they should. They don't know the plays like they should. They don't know the coach, and they don't even know the players. They seldom fork out the money to go to the games, and if you were to talk to them about the recent game, they would be at a loss for words. Now, of course, we're speaking of the bandwagon fan. These are fans, quote-unquote fans, that cheer for a certain team when they're doing well, but know little of the team otherwise. And these individuals often draw a negative connotation from those diehard fans because the bandwagon fans jump on board when things are going well but are missing in action when the team is struggling. Now, I don't know how Detroit fans fit into this at all because we have not had a team to really cheer for for a while. But uh, these bandwagon fans, they like the accolades of cheering for a winner but they won't put forth the effort or they won't even identify with the team when the going gets, rough, or gets tough. And can I say, we don't really like bandwagon fans in sports, but what about in the weightier matters of life? What about in the most important matter of life, that matter being the question of following and serving our Savior? Oh, there are some who identify with Jesus, but they're not really on Jesus' team. They may say they're saved, or there may be some that maybe are saved, but they shy away from identifying with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it begs the question, do you really follow and truly follow him, or are you only interested in following him when things go well for you? In our text of the evening, Jesus makes it clear what it takes to be considered a follower of him. He draws the line in the sand, so to speak. He knew the tendency of man's heart to misunderstand and miscalculate discipleship. And this evening, I trust, after our study in Mark chapter 8, we will know the expectations of those who follow Jesus. And from that knowledge, be able to check ourselves to see if we truly are following our Savior. Our text for the evening is Mark chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 34. This is the cost of discipleship. Verse 34 says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, 
let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Very quickly, the context of Mark chapter 8 is the 4,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Then the blind man is healed, and then we have Peter's confession of Christ. Who do men say that I am, Jesus asks, and Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then it's right after this that now we have verse 34, when he gathers his people together and his disciples also and says, listen, if you're going to follow me, this is the expectation. And he lays it out. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I believe that these three expectations can serve as our outline for the evening. And what did Christ mean when he says these things? Well, I think the verses surrounding the text will be of help as we seek to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. First off, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself. So we need to see the reality of discipleship, and the reality of discipleship following Christ is self-denial. Now at the outset, God has created each one of us with a desire for self-preservation. No one I know likes pain or the, the, the prospect of putting ourselves in danger. That is something that God has given to each one of us. However, just like everything else that God has given to us, when we are in our sin, we, and because of sin, we can corrupt that reality. And one of the things that often is corrupted is this idea that we want to further our own agenda. What we have, ourself, is rarely denied. In fact, oftentimes in our sin, we will just serve our sin. If we are in an unsafe state, we can't not, if that makes sense. We will serve ourselves. But here, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. And in the reality of discipleship is that it is one of self-denial. Now before we get to verse 35, I do need to under, we do need to understand that in Christ, self-denial is possible. Okay, Without Jesus, we will only ever pursue our agenda. And the Bible is clear that apart from Jesus, we will, in a state of rebellion, we are wholly corrupt. And even those things that we do that are good... They're considered filthy rags. But Jesus changes all of that. When we have him, he changes us fundamentally. We get a new heart. We literally are new creatures. Okay, so in Christ, we understand that self-denial is possible. Whereas before, we served ourselves in every whim of our flesh in Christ, now we are able to deny ourselves. This is why a selfish Christian doesn't make sense. Freedom in Christ is not the freedom to do what we will, but rather freedom in Christ is the ability to say no to ourselves and say yes to Jesus. And so in Christ, self-denial is possible. Notice I didn't say that it is automatic but it is possible. 
in Christ, self-denial is possible. But then, in Christ, our values change as well. Look at verse 35. And I believe verse, 30, verse 35 help us to understand what this self-denial looks like. Verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. We have one of these interesting paradoxes of the Christian walk. That thing that God gave to us, that self-preservation, the thing that we want to care for ourselves, changes once Christ comes into our life. And in reality, self-preservation is actually deemed a waste. Self-denial is the way to true life. He says, verse 35, Whoever will save his life shall lose it. But what if you lose your life for Jesus and his sake, and the gospel's sake, the same shall save it. No doubt, what is this, what is this talking about? Well, no doubt he had some that were only willing to follow him when, the, when it cost them nothing. But that is not true discipleship. That's not the path of following our Savior. True discipleship shows up when it's inconvenient for us. True discipleship keeps showing up when it costs us. Can you say with the Apostle Paul that he is willing to, be, uh, to spend and be spent in the pursuit of people? And why would we pursue people? Well, because that's what Jesus pursued. And Jesus was about people. And so if we, and the indication of whether we are a self-denier or a self-sacrificer or a self-preserver, let's put it that way, then uh, the big test is how do you deal with the people around you? Might I remind you that Jesus denied himself to come to this world in humility for you. It costs something to be a disciple of Jesus, and it will cost you something. And I believe Mark is laying this out. He's fashioning these narratives in such a way so that you see Christ who came as our perfect example and he gave his life a ransom for many. And so when we seek to be a follower of Jesus, we're signing up for the same thing. We are denying ourselves. It will cost you something. For some, it costs comfort. For some, it costs money. It's, it's expensive. For some, it costs your health. And perhaps even your very life will be given in the service of your Savior. Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to give up your life? We'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like here in a second. But self-denial. I believe that we have within our American churches believers that have become so comfortable that they seldom deny themselves to do anything. Say no to sin? Pastor Nate, that's just too hard. Show care for others? Well, I have too much on my to-do list. Skip a latte to give towards the church? Well, I could never do that. I need my caffeine. See, I believe we have become a church that's kind of gotten bloated on ease and consumerism. And our discipleship is only surface level. Well, we might have Bible knowledge. We're like a mile wide, but only an inch deep. But a disciple of Jesus denies himself. He says no to himself, and he shows up. 
and he sacrifices himself and what he wants. And so we have the instructions from our Savior. Whoever will come after me, realize you're going to have to deny yourself. This is possible because of Christ. Without Christ, you will not be able to do this. But we must deny ourselves. We must, our whole evaluation of life will change. That's the reality of our discipleship. It is self-denial. But what is the extent of your discipleship? We must deny ourselves. He says it very clear. But then he continues. That's not enough. The second, he says, we must take up our cross. See, I believe the extent of discipleship is self-sacrifice. We have self-denial. That's what the reality is. But how far are you willing to go? to be a follower of Jesus. We here are called to take up our cross. Jesus asked some tough questions in relationship to how much you are willing to sacrifice to follow him. And this is so much deeper than just merely, well, I'm going to take up my cross. You know, I'm, I'm an Irish person, and so they have those, they have those certain issues with, with anger and, and things. So that's my cross that I bear. Every, no, it's not that. It's not, well, I just, uh, I struggle with, uh, I struggle with anger or, or, you know, that's my cross that I must bear. No, this actually goes a little deeper. It's actually you are sacrificing your very self in the service of our Savior. See, the original audience would completely understand this reference to take up their cross. Why? Because they probably witnessed a crucifixion. To take up someone's cross, it was a journey of finality. A person who was to be condemned and hang on a cross, they literally carried their own cross to the place where they died. Everyone knew who was going to die in that moment. So the journey to take up their cross was one of finality. It was one of death. And the followers of Jesus are likewise called to die to self. Now, Pastor Craig did a masterful job this morning of explaining that from Colossians. So we will we'll touch on it. We won't go quite as deep. What does it mean to die to self? Well, it means that our identity, our everything is sacrificed. And to help us understand this, let's look at verses 36 and 37 as Jesus does ask those difficult questions. Verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Basically, Jesus says, What are you willing to sacrifice to follow me? And he asks one particular question. He says, Are you willing to give up worldly gain? So at the beginning, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? Are you willing to give up Worldly gain to follow Jesus? Think about this. What if, and Jesus does give a hypothetical here, what if you gained the whole world? Now this is admittedly impossible, because no one can get all the world, all that the world has to offer, but what if you could? If you could have all the world and yet lose your soul, would you give up the world so you could have your soul? Would you give that up? 
And to help us understand a bit better what is being said, let us consider someone that seemingly had everything in this world, and yet he gave it all up for Christ. I'm sure you know who I'm speaking of. I'm speaking of the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Philippians, we have an understanding, we come to understand that Paul was willing to sacrifice all his earthly pursuits. He was willing to sacrifice all of his victories. He was willing to sacrifice his reputation and even his identity. Because remember, what was his name before? It was Saul. And he gave that up to become Paul. And why did he do that? It is so that he would know Christ and that he would be found in Christ. Can I say, that is a testimony of discipleship. It is sacrificing, or can I say, investing your all in this life, not for yourself, but for your Savior. Can I ask, what have you sacrificed for Jesus recently? What have you given up for him? And, you know, you may be able to look at it, maybe you've put a little more in the offering plate, or I'm thinking something a little bit deeper. You know, I work with teenagers, and one thing that I can see, and I'm learning what this means, but I can see in the lives of parents is sometimes they will struggle to give up their children. To give their children over, to sacrifice what they want for their children on the altar of what Christ might want for their children. That's when the the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. What about your hopes, your dreams? Do you sacrifice all of that for Christ? What if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Are you willing to give up the world for Christ? But then he also goes on and he says, are you willing to relinquish your very person, every part of you, your soul to him? Are you willing to give everything, even your soul? Can I ask, are you holding on to your own righteousness? Are you seeking to gain favor with God on your own? It will never work. Following Jesus demands our everything, even our souls, every part of us. And Jesus basically says in verse 37, What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you willing to give or sacrifice to follow him? What is the value of a, of a soul? Our whole existence, our accomplishments, our very souls crucified with Christ. If we are in Christ, we are new creatures. The old is past, the new has come. And we don't hold on to our rights. So think about this. Do the dead people have any more rights? Do dead people have any more rights? No. So we don't hold on to our accomplishments, for those are dead, or for those are gone, and those are done. And it would be odd for a follower of Jesus to straddle the fence of earthly accomplishment and heavenly reward, yet that is what many people struggle with. And Pastor brought up from Matthew chapter 6 that we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then we, wor- we don't worry about all these other things, because all these other things, because we serve such a wonderful Savior, he'll add those things onto our lives. And yet we do see people who struggle, straddling the fence of trying to get everything this world has to offer and ultimately 
losing the heavenly reward. We don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but instead we often seek to pursue excuse me, the glitz, the glamour, and the accolades of this life. And Jesus, in our passage, states that this tendency is foolish and even dangerous. Why foolish? Well, foolish because we will never gain the whole world. No one can. And so it's a fool's journey. But it's so much more than that. It's dangerous. Because if we are only about the pursuits of this world and not pursuing Jesus, then we are in a position to lose our very souls. A true disciple of Christ, then, is willing to die to self. He says no to himself, but to the point of self-sacrifice in order to gain Christ. Are you willing to die to Christ in this manner? Discipleship to Jesus will involve, at times, literal self-sacrifice. So we have seen from our passage in verse 34 that whoever will come after me, first off, the reality is you must deny yourself. But the extent of that denial, it's going to be to the point of self-sacrifice, self-death. And then lastly now, we're going to come to the proof of discipleship, and that is to follow Christ. It is a relationship with Christ. Now, it's interesting, the first two attributes of a disciple of Jesus are considered definitive acts taken. You deny yourself, you take up your cross. Now, sometimes those things are going to be repetitive, and maybe even five minutes at a time. You deny yourself, you may say, no, I'm not going to do something like that. You say, self, be quiet, I'm not going to listen to myself, I'm going to preach to myself. So sometimes that can happen often throughout the day. Self-sacrifice. You will make certain decisions that maybe you in your flesh would love to have or love to do, but no, you will sacrifice for Christ and for his church and for those he loved. So those are definitive acts that are taken, sometimes repetitive, but acts still done in a given situation. Self-denial and self-sacrificing. But this third is considered something that is ongoing. It is a proof of discipleship that finds its foundation not in action, but in an ongoing relationship with Jesus. See, the disciple of Jesus consistently identifies with Jesus. You look at verse 38 of our passage this, this evening, and it says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, the disciple of Jesus consistently identifies with Jesus. He's not ashamed of him, even in the midst of opposition. I don't know about you, but can I say the last few years, in my estimation, have been incredibly difficult. And I have literally felt the opposition of the evil one in our society, in our culture. And it is now, it can cost you something to say, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to follow me, you must follow me all the time. Are you consistently identifying with Jesus? Or do you shy away from that? 
label of Christian. The person who is a true disciple is not ashamed of him. Even in the midst of opposition, you look at the words that are laid out. It's an adulterous and sinful generation. Can I say, if you want to remain faithful to Christ, can I say you must deny yourself, you must sacrifice yourself, but then you must follow Jesus. If you want to navigate what it means to go through a, an adulterous and sinful generation, you must be a follower of Christ and you must consistently follow him. Don't be ashamed of who Jesus is, even if it costs you something. So the disciple of Jesus consistently identifies with Jesus. But also the disciple of Jesus understands who Jesus is. And we see chapter 9 and verse 1 says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. The disciple of Jesus understands who Jesus is. Why would we follow him in the middle midst of an adulterous and sinful generation? Well, we do because we know who Jesus is. We know that he is the Son of God who has come to this earth. We know that he died for our sins. We know that if we trust in him, that we will have our sins forgiven. And then we also know that the Son of God will come back in glory. And from that relationship, we see Christ for who he is. Chapter 9, verse 1 has been linked with the previous chapter. Um, and this is one of those unfortunate chapter divisions that we have in our Bibles. And I think it goes, it follows right along in the, the idea or the, the, what Christ is trying to get across when he's talking about the realities of discipleship. The disciple of Jesus knows who Jesus is. He's the Son of God coming in glory. And what's amazing is we get to see and we see the benefit given to the immediate audience of the followers of Jesus. He says unto him, verse 1 again, Verily I say unto you, or truly I say unto you, that there be some here, some of that, that are standing here, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come in power. They would see him in glory. Now this verse has stumped many. Why? Because Christ has not yet come back for us. And the people who are standing right around Jesus, who this promise was given to, have all died. So what do we do with this verse? Well, I think to understand best what verse 1 is talking about, I think we need to look at the context of chapter 9. The context of chapter 9 is the transfiguration. So let's think of it through the lens of maybe the three disciples who go with Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration and they get a glimpse of the glory of the Son of God. They know who Jesus is. They would see him in glory. And these followers got to see through an eschatological window of Jesus coming in glory. The disciple of Jesus those disciples specifically, got to see Jesus very clearly. And we, as followers of Christ, generations later, waiting for Jesus to come back, can I say, we get to see who our Savior is as well. And you might say, Pastor Nate, I don't know if, quite, I don't know if I quite understand what you're saying. Well, think about this. We may never, we may never see something like the transfiguration, 
But when we see a soul saved, we see the power of our Savior. We see his kingdom being furthered. We get to see him for who he is. We get to see him as the majestic king of kings and lord of lords. And so a disciple of Jesus knows and understands who our, his, their Savior is. They know who Jesus is. He's the Son of God who has come in glory and will eventually come for all of us. So we have seen this evening what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. He must deny himself, he must take up his cross, and he must follow Christ. To help us wrap this up, the world considered him a fool. His teachers considered his pursuits a waste of talent and knowledge. His own father considered him a disappointment. And even some Christians thought he was a poor steward of the talents, the resources, and the very life that had been given to him by God. All these sediments swirled in the days, months, and even years following the death of William Borden. Borden, born into the Borden family fortune, if you know the Borden uh, dairy, that's the same family. William Borden was a bright and driven young man that showed great promise of success in this life. Yet after seeing the plight of the, of the lost world during a year abroad, he became burdened for missions. Now that may be enough for many to consider his life a foolish waste, but to further fan the flames of his critics, William Borden died before he ever reached the field where he was planning to serve. And to the outside world, it looked like a foolhardy, impulsive, and ultimately fruitless endeavor that incited pity and shame upon William's legacy. Even to this day, there is debate about who William Borden is and who William Borden could have been. And he's been dead for a while. But this, however, did not seem to reflect how William saw things. For soon after his death, there were found three phrases scribbled into the flyleaf of his Bible. And you may know these three phrases. You may know all of this. But these three phrases opened a window into the life of the, this follower of Christ. The three phrases were, first off, no reserves. William Borden had no backup plan. He wasn't relying on anything but following Jesus to the full. He denied millions. He denied prestige. He denied all that the world had to offer. He had, though, as he did that, he had no reserves, no backup plan. He wasn't relying on anything but Jesus to, to, to follow Christ to the full. So no reserves. The second phrase was no retreats. That meant that nothing was going to dissuade him from full surrender and full dedication to do what his Savior wanted for him. And that full surrender actually ended up taking his life. It was a full dedication. He was going to do what Christ wanted him to do, even if that meant giving his very life. So no retreats. And then the last phrase was no regrets. 
His life was the Lord's, no matter how he chose to use him. There were no regrets to following Jesus, and there were no regrets for the sacrifice. There were no regrets for the self-denial. For William Borden, he embodied what it was to follow Jesus. He was a true disciple of Christ. And how do I know? Well, because of our passage this evening. He denied himself. He personally sacrificed even up to the point of death. And he was willing to follow Christ. He followed the teachings, the way of life, the priorities of his Savior. Now, if he were here today, he would be embarrassed that we probably bring, brought him up. He would rather us make the choice to follow Christ. And so can I ask, what about you? Are you a follower of Jesus today? Perhaps you're here tonight and you say you are a follower of Jesus, but you, do you honestly fit the criteria laid out by Jesus in our passage this evening? If not, then Jesus makes it clear that you are not really a follower of him. And the advice is also clear. Don't gain the whole world and lose your soul. Make the decision to make Christ your Savior and your Lord. But you may sit here and say, Pastor Nate, I... I, I I am, a saved, I am a saved person. I am a follower of Christ, and yet sometimes I still struggle. So what is that about? Well, maybe you have trusted Christ, but maybe your discipleship has gotten cheap. As you've been distracted by the ease and comfort of this life. For everyone, can I say for everyone, the solution is clear. Won't you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus tonight. Why? Because this is the cost of the disciple of Jesus Christ. It is a great cost. But can I also say the reward is even greater than the cost. Won't you choose to follow him this evening? Would you bow together in prayer with me, please? Father, we thank you for this passage. Father, it is a daunting passage as we consider our flesh, as we consider our sinful natures. But, oh, Lord, we are so thankful for our Savior. We're thankful for the fact that he blazed the trail of self-sacrifice, self-denial, and obedience to you. And, Lord, we would desire, I know there are people here who would, would desire to be a follower of you. Would you help them? Would you help them to pattern their life after our Savior. And would you help us to deny ourselves? Would you help us to take up our cross, be willing to sacrifice anything and everything? And then, Lord, would you help us to be faithful in our following of him? Lord, if there's one here who is yet to accept Christ, would you help them to, uh, to accept Christ? Would you help them to see that they won't be able to deny themselves and no amount of self-sacrifice will be enough? It has to be Christ. And so, Lord, would you help them to deny themselves and to take, take Christ and uh, that, they might, that they might be saved this evening. Lord, we thank you for the example of our Savior. Would you help us to follow him? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.